to our latest Metrosite episode. I'm Robin Garris, CEO and Principal Analyst of Metrogy, and today I am delighted to be joined by Matt McConnell, who's a Chairman and CEO of Intradium. So let me just start by telling you a little bit about the company. Um, Intradium focuses on automating functions that boost productivity and experience of customer services te service teams. So it's in the CX space. Um, think of solutions that do things like automating agent coaching or leveraging real-time data to automate actions, um, things like routing to the best agent possible at that given time or um, adjusting staffing and scheduling in real time um, and discovering use cases that are going to move um, specific KPIs in the right direction, things like that. Um, the other thing that I think is pretty cool about Intradium we're going to talk about today is that it guarantees that its customers are going to save money with its technology and even provides a dashboard to track the actual savings in real time. So we're going to talk about all this stuff. Um, let's learn a little bit more about the company. Um, with that, I would just like to welcome you, Matt, to today's Metrosite. Thank you very much for having me on. Delighted. So, all right. So take us back to 1995. Um, you were a year out of undergrad and decided to start a company to reinvent how companies deliver customer service. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, it's, it's really rare enough that somebody you're out of school starts their own business, but even more rare that the business is thriving 28 years later with the same founder. So what, you know, what's the secret to your success here? What drove you to start the company? And really to what do you do, attribute the success that you've seen? Well, uh, again, thank you for having me on. Uh, 20, 1995, first thing is I had hair uh, then. <laughs> uh, so a lot of time has passed. You know, the way it started and the way it evolved um, ultimately went at the, you know, the source of the same problem. And and I went to, I was in engineering school at uh, Georgia Tech. And when I graduated, I went to work for the Coca-Cola company. And as okay. a junior employee, I was always plucked out of my job and sent to training. But meanwhile, my, my job activities weren't forgiven me. And so I thought, man, there's got to be a better way take all that training I would have gotten done in the classroom and like spread it into sort of naturally occurring downtimes in my day. Huh. And as I began to research this problem, um, came across the contact center industry and customer service. And I thought, boy, as a professional, it was needed, but in, a, in an environment that's transactional like that, this kind of technology was needed. And what I learned was that the average person in the developed world will spend 123 days of their lives on hold, in line, or sitting at home waiting for a service tech. And I just thought that was crazy. Uh, that we would spend all this time, after giving somebody our money, just trying to get service on what we gave people money for. So I fell in love with that problem and decided that I was going to invest my time and talents in trying to solve it. And you asked about our success. I... Um, you know, we've been very fortunate, but we've stayed, you know, focused on a couple of things. First of all, I'm a person of faith. I think, you know, God's grace certainly had a lot to do with uh, being Absolutely. here 20 years later. We put people first. I believe in uh, putting employees first. And even before customers, we unashamedly tell our okay. shareholders, you're last. Customers are second, but employees are first. And that's been a big part of our success. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But the biggest thing is we fell in love with the problem, this 123 days uh, problem. And uh, we've just stayed focused on that thing for nearly three decades. Yeah. 
So did you always think when you were in college, I'm going to start a business someday? Or was this literally something that just kind of happened empirically? Uh, I was always, I always had ideas as a young person mm -hmm. and I always wanted to, the world to be better in one way or another. And my mom used to tell me, this is before I had a beard. She said, don't be a beard stroker. Like don't sit around and say, oh, I wish the world was different. Yeah. So go solve the problem. So I took her advice yeah. before I had a mortgage, before I had kids and jumped in and started a business. That's fantastic. It's, it's, I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I've been there as well as you know, but it's, it's just, it's, I love hearing like the reasons behind people starting their businesses. And it's, you know, it's more common as you go along your career, you say, okay, yeah, I was ready, but boy, that, that's soon out of college. It's really, it's, it's really cool and just really a great success story. I just love hearing those. Um, so, you know, you've had this long path. And I mean, now you could see a lot of companies starting up trying to automate functions and do things. AI is so big, you know, but you were doing this well before it, it became in vogue, you know, well before its time almost. So what were some of the key challenges or the key, the key changes, I guess, too, that you had to make along the way to make sure that the company was still maintaining its innovation? It was still innovative. It was still relevant to the yeah. needs of CX leaders because, you know, what they needed in 1995 was very different from what they're, well, maybe, maybe from a high level, it's not different from what they need today, but the solutions to fix what you're talking about are, are certainly different. Yeah, you're right. I and mean, we've lived through many recessions, a pandemic, but lots of technological innovations. I can't tell you how many times I read that this new channel is going to be the channel that everybody communicates to contact centers through. Um, so it, there is some value in that experience now that we've had it, but the way we've stayed relevant is not complicated. Um, we tell, I say a thousand times to our team, fall in love with the problem, stay in love with the problem. Um, actually, the guy that created Waze, the app, you probably use yeah, it on your mobile phone, yeah. he's got a book out called Fall in Love with the Problem. And it's just oh, that. Huh. It's ultimately, um, the thing that makes us relevant over time is we've taken this approach that we call problem out, not product out. And what that means is most um, software companies and software vendors and founders like me are very guilty of this. You get in a room and you think up, you know, a, a solution, a product, and then you build that product. And then you go can try to convince customers that they have a, you invent a problem. And then you go try to convince them they have this problem that calls for your product. And we yeah. feel like there's just a much better way to do it, which is go understand the customer's problems. What are their problems related to the, you know, the big problem of trying to give every human on the planet 123 days of their lives back? Understand the customer, understand their problem, and then go build products to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. um, and the key attribute is just listening. So we spend a tremendous amount of time listening to our customers. We hire a lot of people from the industry, from our customers that we don't, we don't recruit from our customers. But when they leave and they reach out to us and say, hey, I'd really love to come on board. We've got, gosh, dozens of people that came from our customers. So that's the biggest thing that's kept us relevant is just really understanding our customers' business problems and investing in helping them solve those problems. It's like you've had consistency over time and keeping your your goal and, and your problem that you're trying to solve the same over all these years, but probably the technologies that you've used to address some of them or to some of the new problems that you might have uncovered have changed over time. It's true. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah it is okay. true. It is true, for okay. sure. Yeah. I think of things, you know, 
technologies are tools, um, but the problem is the problem. And, and yeah. ultimately, you and I would benefit greatly from getting 123 days of our lives back. How do we solve that problem to make contact centers yeah. more efficient, employees more engaged, create a better customer experience? Um, there's a lot of work still to do, but we've we've certainly made progress yeah. over the years. So um, Intradium has coined this term intelligent automation platform. It's kind of what you call what you do. Um, define that for the audience today. And, and how do you see this platform transforming, let's say, over the next two years, and particularly as AI capabilities change? And we've, we're hearing all about generative or large language models. I mean, how are you bringing that into the platform, if at all? And, um, you know, so just maybe define that and, and talk a little bit about what you see happening. Sure. Intelligent automation is a is an analyst um, created term. And um, to simplify it, it is uh, in a contact center. It's a very data rich environment. Lots of data flying around in a contact center. And so historically, there's been a lot of what you might call diagnosis tools that tell you there's a problem. Um, it's a lot of metrics tools. Yeah. that indicate that there's a problem. There's not been a lot of remedies to those diagnoses um, that weren't human, right? The re that there would be these diagnosis tools that would find a problem, but then humans to go try to operationalize the fixes to those problems. So what in in intelligent automation is, when you combine those two things together, it's diagnosis plus remedy in a box. So intelligent automation can identify problems in the data and assign mm -hmm. actions to go address those problems. And most often, we see those manifest themselves as an imbalance between the demand that customers are putting on a brand and the supply, the workforce that serves that demand. And so being able to diagnose, this, diagnose that and then remedy it, but do it all in real time, in microseconds. That's what intelligent automation is, and that's what an intelligent automation platform does, is it can make adjustments in real time to make sure you're best serving your customers. Um, diagnosing what's going on in your business and then taking actions to make adjustments to make sure you're doing whatever it is that you're aiming to do, save money, retain customers, grow wallet share, whatever those those are customers orient their automations towards those goals and intelligent automation makes adjustments all day long to make sure that a business is, yeah. is towards those goals. And as it relates to AI, I'm glad you asked. We think, first of all, I'm a believer that AI is going to change everything, everything. I think it's bigger than the introduction of the personal computer. I think it's bigger than the introduction of the internet. I think it's going to change everything. But as we zoom out and think about the problem, if you think, mm -hmm. let me put it this way. Think about Amazon. Today, you can, anything you can think of, you can go online and order that thing and it'll be at your door in less than 24 hours. That is remarkable. But pick that thing up and try to get service on. And it's a very different experience. And this is the 123 days of our lives, yeah. you know, we spend on hold in line and waiting for a service tech. So we think AI can make a huge leap in reducing the amount of time we wait for service. We think AI, in much the way robotics in manufacturing and warehousing and distribution made a difference for companies like Amazon, we think AI is going to make that difference in customer service. So we're leaning in heavily 
in AI, and we have for some time. We've had AI as a part of our solution for some time. We were AI before it was cool. But we really think AI is going to bring kind of a step function improvement in delivering service to customers. So we're leaning in heavily. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of other companies are too, as you probably know, yeah. of course. Sure. Um, you look at the CX market overall, it's very competitive. There's startups entering the market regularly. And um, even the, the, you know, the major platform vendors like the Contact Center platform, the CRM platform, CPaaS, you know, they're, they're adding a lot of AI capabilities to their por portfolios. They're also trying to focus pretty heavily on agent experience and improving, making agents more um, productive, more efficient happier at their company, all that, some of these trends could put you at risk because you've got other people kind of, you know, other companies kind of encroaching in this area. So when you're talking to a customer um, and when your team is talking to a customer, how do you differentiate InterDM, particularly as, you know, many CX leaders want to consolidate the number of providers they're using? And they might say, oh, well, you know, maybe what you're doing I can get from Platform provider X. I mean, how do you really come in there and say that? Nah, well, maybe you can get some of that, but but here's where we really shine and where we really differentiate from some of the platforms. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. First thing I would say, and I don't want to be controversial, but maybe this is a little controversial. Vendor consolidation <laughs> is a myth promoted by the incumbent vendors. Um, we just, after this many years selling to business buyers, we have never had a single buyer say, we're consolidating vendors. We're not going to do business with you. It's just never happened. And, and I think that's because of the strength of the solutions. Maybe if there's something that's very close or, you know, 30 or 50% overlap with another solution, there's that conversation about consolidation. But we've just never experienced anybody telling us they won't do business with us because of vendor consolidation. And, and the contact center solution, tech solution vendors, have been trying to take us out for for years in one way or another. Um, yeah. As I said, we just continued to stay in love with the problem, and and that has served us very well um, as a as a company creating solutions for our customers. We remain relevant. We solve problems that 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 other vendors haven't. And I think that what differentiates us. I'll use an analogy I mentioned ways before. Mm -hmm. Um, you probably used other navigation apps before you used Waze. If you think mm -hmm. back early, like TomTom Tom days, I don't know if you ever had one of those as a navigation Garmin. app. Garmin. Yeah, Mormon, yeah. right? It would take you from point A to point B. It would figure out the yeah. shortest distance. But what, what made Waze so popular was it took in real-time traffic information right. and made, may have made adjustments to your route based on accidents, traffic, you know, all, rerouting, construction, all kinds of stuff. Um, so historically, contact centers have set a plan for the day and um, they've said, you know, we're going to get point A to point B. And this is how many butts and seats we have at all these different intervals. And then okay. they just ran the plan. And if they ran into the contact center version of an accident or construction or whatever, right, they're understaffed or overstaffed, they tried to make adjustments with humans. Um, so essentially, IntraDM brought ways to the contact center, if you will, because we're taking into account all the real-time information and making adjustments in real time based on what, you know, traffic conditions to your workforce and what they're doing and where they're focused and what activities are getting done. And over time, we've proven we can generate an enormous return on investment for our customers by doing that. 
But here's what why we've existed so long and will continue to exist so long. Being able to take in enormous amounts of data, billions and billions of data points, and then act on that data in real time, microseconds to make adjustments, is not trivial technically. And so we've invested thousands of man years in this platform. It's a little bit like, I'm using a lot of analogies, but a self-driving car um, huh? has to process enormous amounts of real-time right. data um, in order to not run over the kid in the crosswalk. Right. And so that takes specific dedicated investment in that type of, a, of an architecture, which is what we've done and, and what makes us unique. Yeah, so it's interesting. You were talking about vendor consolidation, and we ask that question a lot in our research. You know, we see people saying, "Oh, yes, we're going to consolidate vendors," and then you talk to the same people a year later. And, I'll have that vendor consolidation project. Uh, well, yeah, we didn't do it. Uh, we we tried to do it. You know, we we it was our goal to do it, but we really needed the capabilities that we have from our eight vendors in CX or, you know, however many they have. And I feel like it's something that's always a goal of companies that's never achieved. That That's kind of the way I look at the vendor consolidation problem. Like, or I don't know if it's a problem, but just the this goal that companies have that just never ends up happening. But anyway. I think um, you're onto it, Robin. I think it's like, I, I can see why an IT team, like there's a tax for managing every single vendor you have. And IT teams like, yeah. let's look at tax. But yeah. the business people are saying, I can't solve the same business problems with a narrower set of vendors and the business problems, I think usually win and it has to figure out how to manage all those vendors. Very much so. But um, being an analyst, you know, I'm always one that loves looking at numbers and looking at, and we, we focus so much here at Metrogy on um, success metrics. And I just love the fact that what you guys do is focus on documenting ROI for your customers, looking at business metrics that they care about. And I want, say that, you know, just being someone who's been in this industry for uh, longer than I care to say, <laughs> two decades, um, not many companies that I've seen do that with such confidence, you know, nor do they provide a tracking dashboard like you guys do, you know, okay, look at your, look at your savings in real time. And um, I, I think that that's really a strength for you. And I want to understand a little bit about when you started focusing on those metrics, those ROI metrics, if that's always been part of your DNA, if it's something relatively new. And then also, how significant is that savings guarantee? Hey, you, you come use us, we guarantee you're going to save money. How how strong is that to both open doors and to close sales? Robin, it's very strong. And I'll tell you where yeah. it started. I hired a person to be my chief financial officer that had come from one of my customers, a very large financial institution. And he was the, was a chief financial officer for one of their largest divisions that happened to manage all their contact centers. And so he was on the other side of the table when all these vendors would pitch to them and show them their sort of standard ROI. And, um, and he, he came to Intradium because they were a customer and he said, look, this is the first solution I've seen since the IVR and interactive voice response system. Yeah, yeah. Just money, like really delivered on the ROI. And so he convinced me and us to really lean in on ROI. And so that's been probably eight or 10 years ago that we really huh. focused on measuring it. So today I can tell you how much money I saved each one of my customers yesterday, last week, last month, by <sighs> division, unit, by call center. Um, and it is, uh, it's very real. We validate it, the, the assumptions with our customers before we start tracking it. And uh, it is, 
I will say it does help in, help open doors. It's very CFO friendly, hard dollar saving, mm -hmm. helps close sales, but it also helps in this subscription business where, you know, you live on renewals. It also helps ensure renewals. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, it, we say, look, you know, we're not perfect. We work really hard to, to do right by our customers, but savings um, uh, really helps customers uh, get the, the the dollars they need to renew a subscription or to buy, yeah. uh, buy a product. So it's hard dollar. It's very clear. And we report on it constantly to our customers so that, you know, and we know where we're behind. I've got a team of people who are success managers. They don't sell anything. They don't, you know, they can't up, they can't upsell you on anything. They're measured exclusively on how much money they save our customers. Um, and so our customers know that they've got a partner in our success managers that are there to help them overachieve the business case they built internally. And so yeah. fortunately today, our ROI on average is a, is a little north of 4X per year, uh, what our customers save on our platform. Yeah, that's incredible. Just having those hard facts. I know, like when people come to me at our company and want to want to get a new application or, or anything new, that's always my question. Okay, well, what's what's the value to us? I mean, is it going to save the money? You know, is it going to um, help with our clients? Like, what's it going to do for us? And having something like that would be definitely very powerful. And just as someone who buys technology myself for our company, I don't I don't see that very often. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so I know we're getting close to the end, and I want to close off. With a question, you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier about your employees, and I want to talk a little bit about your success as um, as CEO. And I, I think with CEOs, you know, your, your success it can be um, defined by your financials, by your investor reviews, or your um, customer satisfaction, employee happiness, all those things. But the latter, the employee satisfaction, I think some may argue is most important because it drives everything else. And I would say that your longevity at the company says a lot. You know, if, if your employees weren't happy with you and you're losing people all over the place, I don't know, would you still have a company? Would you still be there, right? But another indicator, I always look at Glassdoor when I'm, when I'm looking at new companies because I think it, it gives you really cool information. And um, I, I look at your Glassdoor reviews and 96% of your, you know, how, I don't know if you've looked at this recently, uh, but 96% of your current or for, former employees approve of you as a CEO. And that's almost unheard of. You don't see that very often. And um, so I want to ask you why, you know, to what do you attribute that approval from your team? And uh, I think you already answered my next question, but it was, you know, where does employee satisfaction fit into your list of priorities? Yeah, so this is maybe my favorite topic. Um, I believe that the way to build a, a lasting brand is to put employees first, as I had said earlier. Um, I, I don't think customers should be first, and I certainly don't think shareholders should be first. I believe that a company, the executive team of a company, my responsibility and my team's responsibility, my direct reports responsibility is for the what I call the groceries of our employees. If our employees know that we have their backs and that they're priority number one in the company, they're going to mm -hmm. do put everything in their effort to take care of our customers. And they do. And if we do those two things, the shareholders are going to be just fine. And that's kind of proved yeah. over time. And we've been able to sort of prove this to our employees um, during the pandemic. Uh, one of my proudest moments um, as an entrepreneur and as a CEO was I told the team, you know, we were 
reforecasting and reforecasting like everybody, what was going to happen to our business in that <laughs> crazy month of March of 2020. And I told the team, cut it to the bone, but we're not laying off anybody. And the my finance team came back to me and said, we've cut everything we can, but we're not to our most austere revenue forecast yet. And um, so I went to my leadership team and said, listen, guys, I'm going to, we're not there yet. We, we were not going to lay off any people, but to get the rest of the way there, um, the leadership team has to take a pay cut. And so huh? I'm not telling you, you have to, um, I'm going to do it. And it, I would appreciate you considering it. And to a person without hesitation, uh, the leadership team, every one of them agreed to take a, a pay cut. And fortunately, things weren't as bad as we sort of our most austere projection. But that really locked in our culture of putting employees first. And of course, uh -huh. during the, the great tech layoff of 23, we didn't we haven't laid off any people. Um, and so we put employees first. We mean it when we say that um, we've stood up for it. And um, ultimately, uh, what that does is it creates this relationship between our company and our employees where our employees know their value and they value the 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 relationship and the job that they have. So yeah. they just pull on the oars harder. That's the bottom line is they pull on the oars harder because yeah. they appreciate the relationship that they have. And so you asked earlier about AI and how it's going to change our industry. It absolutely will. But I like our odds given our strategy and the fact that we put employees first and, and uh, that this is such a, I just, there's so much power when you put employees first and they know you mean it. Um, they yeah. will crawl over broken glass uh, to make the company successful. Well, that is, that is wonderful. A um, lot of, a lot of uh, business leaders out there um, should listen to what you say here. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you joining us today, Matt. It's really been a great discussion. Um, thanks for sharing your, your wisdom and your insights on both on the company, as well as just um, being a good leader. So uh, thank you all. And thanks to all of our listeners until the next episode, everyone have a great day. Thanks Robin. Thank you. Thank you.